ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome or welcome back to JKWD Podcast. We hope you are having a great day. And actually, if you're not, this is probably a pretty good episode for you. It's also a good episode for you if you're having a great day. But, yeah, anyway. Uh, we have Frank King, the mental health comedian on uh He's been in the news. Well, we're recording this on February 21, and you're hearing this a little, a little later. But he's been in the news the last few days because he was um, on a on a ship uh, that was it wasn't quarantined for coronavirus, but there were some cases on his ship, um, and uh, there were some inaccurate news reports about the quarantine and saying he snuck off and whatever. Um, so he, uh, and he's been dealing with some like craziness online from that. So, so we actually talk about that a little bit. If you want to um, see what that's about, you can just Google Frank King comedian and, uh, and it will come up. The madness will show up for you. Um, so it turned out this was a, a very timely chat for him. <laughs> Uh, Kelvin, how you doing? I'm doing well, thank you very much. I, uh, yeah, doing well. We got sunshine here again. Good. It's cold, but but we still have sunshine, so we Same don't here. know it's cold until oh. I actually walk outside. Same here, cold and well, sunny. Well, I, I know it's cold because I can hear my heat going off. But oh uh, yeah, it's so yeah, life's pretty good. I'm in good spirits. It was a great podcast we just had here. I really didn't know what to expect. It was refreshing, actually, and enlightening. So, for sure, feel good. So, no ad today, but um, do want to read off the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Uh, there is hope. Uh, there are people you can talk to. One eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. It's one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And on the other side of this, you will hear our conversation with Frank King. Yeah, so so actually we'll 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 work this in from a from a um you know from the bullying angle too because that oh my god know, now that now that now that you can explain that to to people um we know who you know who the thing that cyberbullying or bullying online needs to be explained to people my age because you know when we were kids you're in the locker room they snap towels they hit you in the shoulder it's very personal you know and nobody right. else knows about it. And I thought, how bad could it be? I mean, you know, uh, and the thing is, all the people that harshed on me online, and trust me, there were hundreds, I'll never see them. But if you're, if you're a teenager and, and you're, being, you're being bullied by people in your class, you have to see them every day. Right. And everybody else who's read the posts. And, 
you know, I mean, I, I, I thought to myself, you know, if it was, I was in high school and this is happening and these were people I knew, mm-hmm. I just have to hand out numbers like the DMV for, for butt kickings because all right, who's next? Yeah. I heard what you said about me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But now, I mean, you know, that used to at least stop when you went home for the day and now you have yeah, to you get a break Facebook and Snapchat and whatever else. Yeah, and like I said, I had I have like I told you guys off here. I had I had, I had changed my phone home phone number. Um, I deactivated my personal Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I just kept my business stuff. Uh, I, I had to call. I could, uh, disable my Google My Business because there's a map. I, I I'm now going to have to have my attorney contact Yelp because they they won't take yeah. your your you know your business down from right. the directory. It doesn't have my address, but it has the city I live in. So. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, you yeah, need to take not it that wrong. big a city. <laughs> yeah, not that big a city, and I'm not that hard to find. And I said, you know, um, <laughs> you know, actually, when I shoot and kill somebody, I think their their family's probably going to name you in the lawsuit. Um, so I'm going to have to call my attorney, open a file, have to give you know, so like you need to get, send these guys a note saying you got to take that down. Um, so because it's uh, anyway, that that's my week, fellas. How about you guys? Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, I don't need to complain about the cold anymore. No, I think, yeah, I think, Kelvin, yeah. Uh, Holy, and I knew nothing about this until just, just moments oh, ago. Oh, man, Google my yeah, name. I didn't either. Yeah, Google uh, my name. Put Frank King comedy and uh, coronavirus. and. Yeah, you don't even need to put coronavirus in there. It just pops right up. Yeah, you know, and I've been in the Daily Mail on Lester Holt. I, I, think, I, uh, I think I Googled comedian Frank King and – and it, it and it just went woo. Uh, yeah, woo. including including Oregon Live. Uh, yeah, yep. <laughs> which um, was one of my favorite interviews, by the way, because they let me tell my story. Let me let me straighten out the story. The ship was never quarantined. I was cleared by the CDC on both ends. Mm-hmm. What I love is people go. He, you know, he sneaked. <laughs> for if you listen to the podcast and you don't know what we're talking about, there are these two cruise ships in the Western Pacific, not that long ago, and on one of them called the uh, Dream. The, Dream, Princess, Princess, Dream. They had hundreds of cases of the coronavirus. People were, you know, locked down. Um, they were allowed to go out one hour a day into the sunshine, like they were in triple max. Some mm-hmm. of them are still in the hospital, locked down in Japan. And on our ship, we had no flu, none. And then we docked, and a woman who had been on the ship flew to Kuala Lumpur on her way home, spiked a fever, and that, you know, all of a sudden everybody's sort of stuck in place, trying to. And I had, you know, I, I tested. I'd, I mean. The CDC guy in Cambodia said to me, Frank, look, you don't have a temperature. I'm in the mainland China, which is the epicenter of this. Right. Um, you know, you gave us, I did a little test for the nose, Q-tip, you know, uh, throat Q-tips. So they had, they had my stuff. Mm-hmm. Said, no reason you can't go home. I said, okay, fine. So I bought my own plane tickets, $1,595. Um, and then I, Seattle, of course, the CDC was waiting for me. I'm walking down the concourse in the, you know, in the uh, customs immigration area. And the guy goes, Frank, looking forward to meeting you. They did the same thing. They examined me and they said, no, no, you're fine. Go. Well, the way the story is spun, it was a quarantine ship and I, you know, I snuck out of quarantine and somehow I snuck out of Cambodia and snuck into the U.S., which doesn't usually happen in Seattle. It usually happens a lot farther south. Uh, And I said to somebody, I wish I had those, that set of skills that I could sneak out of Cambodia (laughs) and sneak into the U.S. at will. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's just been a, you know, my, and my, my, my town, you know, you brought the virus back here. I love this. The guy, you brought the virus back here. You're going to, you're trying to kill everybody. And I wrote back, no, I've got a list and you're on the V here in the VIP section. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, Mo. And oh. our neighbors, you know, our neighbors and somebody, somebody, uh, I, I gave up comedy clubs long ago, but somebody, we're going to make sure you never get booked in another comedy club again. I wrote back, can we get that in writing? <laughs> Because you know oh, I, don't do, uh, I don't do comedy clubs, they don't play anything. So anyway, right. it's just been, it's just been a week, fellas. Yeah, I hear you. Um, so why don't you just take a second to introduce um, you and you, yourself and your mission? Uh, tell us a little bit about why that's your mission and how you might actually be uniquely qualified to to handle this. Um, as a yeah, you know, there are so many people who who like wouldn't be here um yes, know, exactly. a few days later and and would have just been like <laughs> um you know who you know the, you know not only not here but you know they'd be struggling a lot more than than clearly you are yeah i am a suicide prevention speaker i speak on um well suicide prevention signs and symptoms of depression thoughts of suicide what to do what not to do what to say what not to say that's mm-hmm. how i make my living and which by the ironic in that people think I'm coming back to my county to kill people or I'm on a plane with 300 people I'm going to kill. I said to somebody, you know, my job is saving lives. And if I killed everybody on a 300 seat aircraft, that puts me pretty far into arrears for the year. It's going to take a while to make up that ground. Uh, yeah, I go out and speak and, and, um, the re- and people always ask, and I always open with this. Wait a minute, a comedian talking about depression and suicide, how does that work? Well, it runs in my family. My grandmother died by suicide. My mother found it. My great aunt died by suicide. My mother and I found her. I was four years old. I screamed for days. Um, I won't give you the, the gory details, but my, for my first TED Talk, um, I'm a, yeah, if, you go to, if you go to YouTube, type in my name, and um, it's a matter of laugh or death. I, I talk about what, you know, what happened, how I got... What happened in that incident? What happened at the scene? And then in 2010, after filing bankruptcy because my speaking business dropped off with the recession, I can tell you what the barrel of my gun tastes like. Mm-hmm. Um, spoiler alert, I didn't pull the trigger, uh, which usually gets a laugh. And then I say, you know, a friend of mine never heard me do the keynote. He came up afterwards and he said this, hey man, how come you didn't pull the trigger? <laughs> and I said, hey man, could you try to sound a little less disappointed? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's the funny and suicide prevention. So, and I think comedy, you know, you know what a comedian's job is since the time of the court gesture, speak truth to power on behalf of the powerless. Well, I believe I speak truth to the power of mental illness on behalf of those often powerless in its grip. And I, and, and when I speak oftentimes, well, almost every time I do a Q and a, I don't feel bad. I got three dogs. Um, the, uh, I do a general Q and a, and I tell the audience, um, you know, we're going to do, a, we're going to do a Q and a all together. And then if you have a question you don't want to ask in front of everybody, like, Hey, I'm crazy. Can you help me? I'll hang out afterwards. And usually there's one to half a dozen people hang out. And, and, and oftentimes they have, um, I have two mental illnesses. One's called major depressive disorder, depression. The other one's called more rare called chronic suicidal ideation. It means for me and people like me, my tribe, uh, suicide is always an option on the menu uh, as a solution for problems large and small. I'll give you an idea how small. Uh, a couple of years ago, my car broke down. I had three thoughts unbidden. One, get it fixed. Two, buy a new one. Three, I kill myself. So when I say that on stage, 
almost every time somebody somebody who comes up they've got that chronic suicidal ideation they had no idea it had a name they thought they're just some kind of freak they were all alone and the relief to find out it is a thing and it has a name and they're not by themselves is palpable so i mean it's, it's conceivable arguable that maybe i've taken them just far enough off the path to suicide they'll live a relatively normal life and it hit me not long ago of some place standing outside thinking about all these people that came up afterwards oh my god i'm george bailey and it's a wonderful life i've been showing what these people's lives would be like if i weren't here to speak and and let them know they're not alone mm. my second thought was oh my god now i can't kill myself because i'd take all these people with me oh goodness. yeah right. yeah a friend of mine said you couldn't live with that i said no dude i couldn't die with that so that's what I do, and that's why I'm qualified to do it, uh, because it runs in my family, because I've been that close. You know, when I when I stand on stage and say, I, put, I can tell you what the barrel of my gun tastes like, every mentally ill person in the audience is nodding. Oh, man, he understands it. He gets it. Because it's one thing to be a clinician and understand it from a clinical perspective. Right. But, you know, when you have, if you know the aftertaste of gun oil, it's a whole <laughs> different. Oh. Yeah. I'm guessing you have children. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, got got a sick fourteen month old. And oh, a, brother. And a and a five month old puppy. So. Oh, good call. Yeah. The fourteen fourteen month old wasn't enough for you, honey. This is just not disruptive enough. I need something um, else at wine. Yeah, she's gonna. Uh, yeah. Well, hopefully we'll have the baby in daycare at some point. That's fine. You know. But, but yeah, hey, listen, she's listen, she's listen. been uh she's been a regular on the on this podcast for the last year. So. <laughs> hey, here's how I feel about kids kids in that noise. If they're making that noise, they're breathing. That's, That's all right. I care about. That's yeah. Um, and she'll make it for five minutes, and then she'll either stop or I'll pick her up and I'll put her someplace else where she'll make the same noise because she <laughs> doesn't know how to communicate what she wants. But yeah. I know she's not hungry, and I know she she's got a clean diaper. Those are the two things I know. And um, hey, you know, oddly enough, I that's, can't. That's the situation I'm in. I'm I'm not hungry, and I've got a clean diaper. You know? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 63. That's a possibility, isn't it? it? Yeah, actually, I guess it is. <laughs> well, I mean, a possibility for all of us, right? I mean, that's true. You sit around for long enough, sometimes you just forget, like how nice it is. Uh, oh yeah. Oh man. <laughs> um. So that's, that's why I speak on suicide prevention, because, it, you know, people yeah. ask me, how did you, how'd you pick that top? Other speakers ask me, how did you pick that topic? Well, the topic actually picked me. So did you, uh, have you um, had to undergo any particular training? I mean, obviously having, you know, having that brain uh, you know, is, a, is a key into other people's brains with the yeah. same thing. But uh, have you had any particular training on how to yeah. talk to people, uh, or is this something you came up with? Well, talking to people is not a problem, not an issue, because I've been a comedian since right. the day after, yeah, uh, day after Christmas, 1985. Uh, 2,629 nights in a row, nonstop, no home on the road doing stand-up. Wow. I uh, opened up for Seinfeld, Dennis Miller, Ellen, Rosie, uh, Adam Sandler, Kevin James, Dana Carvey. Um, the training I got was this, this thing called uh, Mental Health First Aid. Mm -hmm. uh, your listeners should know that they're everywhere. Uh, it's an eight-hour class. They serve you lunch, and it costs anywhere from like nothing to twenty-five bucks. And it's a great primer. It's called uh, mentalhealthfirstaid.com. 
and you can go on their website, put in your zip code and put in like 25 mile radius and you'll find every class within a 25 mile radius. And it's a great way to learn about a wide variety, oh, wow. you know, from, from depression and suicide to non-lethal harm, like cutting and burning and picking that kids do. And I'm sure adults do as well. Um, that's one. I had a training called Working Minds. It's, it's a training, uh, the premise is suicide prevention as a workplace health and safety issue. So it's kind of from HR perspective. Okay. And then the third one is uh, QPR. That's Queen. What's the P? What's the P in the, uh, in the army, you know, like a whiskey, Romeo. What's P? P uh, Papa. P is in pa Papa. Yeah. Q's in Queen, P is in Papa, R is in Romeo. Uh, Institute.com. QPRinstitute.com. They have what they call gatekeeper training, which is where you learn how to spot the signs and symptoms of depression, thoughts of suicide, and then, you know, what, what to do, what to say, what not to do, what not to say. Their thing is, it's kind of like CPR, in that the sooner you realize somebody's in a mental health crisis, and the sooner you can help get them stabilized, mm -hmm. uh, and the sooner you get them professional help, the better the outcome. It's kind of like a heart attack. The sooner you realize they're having a heart attack, the sooner you start chest compressions, the sooner you get the AEDs and you give them the shock, and, and then the sooner you, they have a, a better chance for long-term survival. And that's the trace called gatekeeper training. You're the gatekeeper. You're standing at the gate watching people go by. And because, and, you know, all, people all say to me all the time, so-and-so died by suicide. I didn't, I had no idea, no signs. That's, well, here's the deal. Uh, people who are thinking about suicide, eight out of 10 of them are ambivalent. And 90% of them give you hints, direct, indirect, verbal, behavioral, in the last week leading up to the attempt. So if you know what to look for. Right. And the suicide is the most preventable cause of death. Anybody can intervene. Anybody, just by often just by starting a conversation. Hey, you know, dude, you just don't look. I know, and I'm fine. No, I, I know you're not fine. Tell me what's up. So, I mean, that's how it, it's, you know. And if and if all else fails, are you having thoughts of suicide? The way you ask it, mm -hmm. um, it's a difficult question to ask. But if eight out of ten want somebody to interrupt, they may be delighted you asked. Right. So um, that, that's the training I've had. Now, so I listen to a lot of comedians' podcasts. Yeah. So um, I'm going to ask what seems like some inside baseball that I've gleaned, but it seems um, that mental health is a big issue for a lot of comics. You think? Um, it's not a. I mean, it, it's an outside of you know it's an outside the normal job, and you know people you know, you. Know, the presentation is an hour, you know, people see like an hour in that comedian's life. Yeah. Um, and they're out there making people laugh and having a good time and appearing to have a good time. But that's not what's going on up here, probably. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you got into it and how you recognized it? I mean, you know, I'm sure that at this point, um, you know, we're recording in early, in early 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, you know the uh, Robin Williams's death not too is not too far behind us. Bernie Stevens's death is not too far behind us. Um, yeah, so it's still and you know, those are guys who had guys around them. Um, yeah, and everything to live for, as, as people say. You know, you right. Robin Williams he had money. You know, and uh, right. a couple, couple things. One, um, generally. Uh, if you have clinical depression or bipolar or whatever, it's the, 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 the thoughts of suicide aren't necessarily situational. I've been most depressed at some of the best times in my life. 
uh, that said, a situation can trigger it. Um, mm -hmm. And to your point about comedians, uh, I think it's comedians, creative people, um, entrepreneurs. The uh, we I have a podcast of my own. It's called the um, Suicide Prevention Punchline, oh. and we create we created it because there are so many comics mm -hmm. who die by suicide. And so we thought we'd go on and talk about comics who die by suicide. We have clinicians on, we have comics on, we have people, um, we, had, we had a comic from Salt Lake City and his mom on, who's a therapist, mm -hmm. uh, which is one of, one, of, one of our most downloaded podcasts. And we also have entrepreneurs on because I did a, a, a TEDx called um, Mental with Benefits, the Evolutionary Advantages of Mental Illness. Mm -hmm. Because I noticed that people who are creative, whether it's comedy or music or art or entrepreneurs, um, they often had a mental illness somewhere in their DNA. And I thought it can't be a coincidence that, th that these people, all these people have a mental illness. My premise was that the, the mental illness is simply half of the equation. There's a mental ableness, uh, superpowers, if you will, that come with mental illness. And I said that to my sister who's lives with depression, and anxiety. She goes, superpowers. We're not the X-Men. We're the Xanax men. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and I, and I put in the TEDx, I put laundry lists of people who had bipolar and dyslexia and, you know, and at the end I said, look, you don't have to have a mental illness to be rich and famous, but apparently it doesn't hurt. Right. And my fourth TED talk was called Suicide, the Secret of My Success, Dead mm -hmm. Man Talking, because of, because of my chronic suicidal ideation, and I thought I was the only one who had it, of course. Um, I'm married to my high school sweetheart, wonderful woman, but we don't belong together. We, uh, you know, we had nothing in common, but opposites attract. She was pregnant. I wasn't, um, <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, thank you. I'll be here all week. You need to warn me about those. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Try the Zoloft. Um, the, uh, and I was selling insurance, which I didn't particularly like great business, but I didn't like it. And I wasn't going to open mic night, which is where I thought I belonged. I thought I belonged in comedy. And I realized I'm, I'm going to kill myself. Uh, if I don't do something, I'll change something. And then my next thought was very empowering, which was, well, wait a minute. I'm going to kill myself anyway. I could divorce my wife, quit my job, try comedy. If it works, great. If it doesn't, hell, I can still kill myself. And I thought I was the only one who thought that way. And then lo and behold, another comic called me one day. And she goes, did I ever tell you the real reason I got into comedy, quit my job? I go, no. And she tells the same story. And then I met them. I met a, a gentleman, an entrepreneur, one of my clients I'm coaching to get a TEDx. When, when he looked over my stuff and he watched that TEDx, he called back and he goes, Frank, we have more in common than you think in his mm -hmm. previous job. And he was good at it and he liked it, but he knew he should be set doing something else. And he, he got suicidal in the first one. He thought, if I don't quit this job and try this, I'm going to kill myself. I go, man, I know that drill. I basically the, when I write a book and I've got the title and subtitle and, and cover done, it's going to be um, starting the conversation on suicide, living in the exit row. And the cover on the front is going to be a guy sitting in the window seat on a plane in the exit row. Cause that's where I live. Always willing to, you know, pop the door open. If things get too bad, that's my superpower and go, which by the way is, is very empowering because suicide misconception. Why do you want to kill himself? Chances are he didn't want to kill himself. Chances are he just wanted to end the pain. And so, I can go on oftentimes knowing I have a way to end the pain ultimately. If that makes sense. Ironically, my suicidal ideation keeps me alive. Yeah, no, I, I get it. You, you get to, 
there's not a, a hey doctor um i'm not quite sure what's wrong with me but can we try a b c or d you, know, you like, like you know what the yeah <laughs> you know what you know what choice a is you're good uh, yeah the ultimate solution is right. uh yeah and i take medication i didn't take it for a long time um i didn't have anything against it i just didn't and uh i started taking it at age 60 and then three weeks into that i'm like what was i waiting for oh my <laughs> god this is what normal people feel like yeah so no, we're, um we're not we're not sure normal yeah, yeah well neuro that's neuro a wide, that's a wide that's a wide girth right there right yeah well and people say well, everybody has a little yeah but you know not like i said you ever pull up i people go you know everybody's a little crazy i go okay let me ask you this they're pulled up to an, an intersection where the train is coming and you know the arms are coming down you ever look at the train and think you know if i pulled on the tracks that would do it they're like what <laughs> <laughs> Nope, never had that thought. Yeah, that's 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 suicidal ideation right there. Yeah. But but for people who have that, that's a very common thought. Mm-hmm. Driving a mountain road, there's a big drop off. They're looking, oh, I would do it. Yeah, I got together with a friend of mine. We get together once a week for coffee, the crazy coffee clutch, because that way we can take the game face off and just be ourselves and you know yep. be really dark. And somebody had jumped off a building, like six story building that that week, and killed themselves. And we both looked at each other and like six. I'm not a six-story building. You can survive that. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> 10 <Six> at least. <laughs> wow. So, but, you know, when you say things like that to normal <coughs> humans, they just they just stare at you in horror. Uh, and, and some of the funniest things happen with people who are – I called – a meeting planner called me. Would you do a keynote? Yes. I said, uh, and she's well aware I put a gun in my mouth. Mm-hmm. I go, what do you want to talk about? She goes, just give me some uh, bullet points. And I just let that hang in the air. <laughs> <laughs> and she comes on. She's, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Relax, Michelle. It's okay. Well, now that we know who she is, no. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I probably had one. Every once in a while, I'll have something like just kind of flitter through my head, and I'm going like, "Oh, like, don't be stupid. Just cut the crap." The only time that I ever really had a Oh, we'll call it an anxiety moment where I actually thought about suicide was several years ago. I, I went to, uh, you know, I had a, a little shit. I had a, I had a house. I, I, uh, I rented the house and I, I, I was in the military. So I went someplace else and I came back, uh, rented a house while I was gone. When I came back, I went to do my taxes and found out all this stuff about, you know, depreciation and how it gets added to your stuff. And I've realized the tax bill I had to oh God. do the IRS. And at the moment I saw that number, this thought came into my head. It was like, how do I get out of this? You know, I'm thinking like this, which at the time was only about $10,000. So we're not talking, we're not talking like, oh, the feds hunt half a mil. Yeah. $10,000. And I was like, this incredible panic thing. And I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? Well, strangely enough, my sister-in-law at the time had a credit card with, with a $10,000 limit that, that cured my problem. And I just had to worry about not pissing her off. Oops. Yeah. Did I do that, Jay? So, but that's the only time I really had that. So I've talked to people. I mean, I've seen a lot of stuff on, uh, you know, talking to people who, who might be thinking about suicide, you know, if you just say something, you know, maybe you could have stopped that, but it's, it's kind of a daunting thing from this side. Cause I think people like us may be worried about saying something that will actually 
push them forward. Well, and let me address that. Uh, the um, there's an urban legend that mentioning the S word in front of somebody who's who is you know depressed mm -hmm. will encourage them to die by suicide. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love yeah, I love the reason because it'll give them the idea. I'm like. Suicide? What a great idea! Why didn't I think of that? Trust me, it's crossed their mind. And your experience, Calvin, is very common. It's a situational. You look at that number and you're like, oh man, how do you ever get out from under this? Well, I know. So most people have a time in their life bankruptcy, divorce, or a big, you know, big, mm -hmm. a big hit like that for taxes, where they the thought crosses their mind. And some people with a divorce, a bankruptcy. They need to take medication for three, four, five, six months just to, you know, take the edge off long enough to let them recover their, you know, regain their balance. And then mm -hmm. they come off. Um, then there's those of us who just, it's just organic. It's just part of the way we're, we're wired. And the problem for men, by the way, and we have a book coming out March 1st. It's on men's mental health. Uh, I have two, two ladies I've been doing it with, a psychologist and a therapist. Um, the therapist teaches suicide prevention to first responders, mostly men. And she went to the Barnes and Noble or Amazon to get a book on men's mental health and nothing. So she thought, well, I, you know, there's a vacuum in the market. So we, it's called Guts, Grit, and the Grind, a men's mental mechanical manual. And it's stories of guys and their problems and their solutions. Because guys tend to take advice from guys. You know, that's how guys are. We're hoping that they'll see how another guy handled it. And, um, uh, and also, if you have a, we think a lot of women are going to buy it because they've got a guy in their life who has a problem and they're going to go through the index looking at that problem and think, oh man, this is, this is how I can help him. Mm -hmm. Because men in this country right this minute, eight out of 10 suicides are men. Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, it's, it's epidemic, especially men age uh, 45 to 54, right there. A lot of blue collar guys used to have a great job. AI and robotics took it and now they're adrift and they've got the ego tied to their job. So. Um, that's why we came up with the guts, grit, and the grind. Uh, men's, and it's made like a, it looks like a car manual for like a new car manual. Mm. And it's all, it's full of metaphors. Uh, for example, my favorite is this. So what if the man in your life had a check engine light, you know, and it goes on and he goes to see the mental mechanic and the mental mechanic goes, Bob, no wonder you're depressed. You're a quart low on serotonin. I mean, that's in an effort to appeal to guys. Cause I'll tell you, I don't, I have trouble taking any advice. And if my wife, could, I've said this many times, my wife could give me a Nobel Prize winning idea. And I'd be like, yeah, poo poo. But if the mailman told me the same thing, <laughs> I'm buying the plane tickets to go pick up the hardware. You know, it's. I have uh, so been there. <laughs> yeah. That's how, yeah. But, and, and it's not just mental things with guys. Guys wait too long, you know, if they've got a lump in their testicles or they wait too long for a, a PSA test, you know, for the prostate or. Or, you know, they, they tend to rationalize or they got chest pains, but their shirt's a burrito, not a heart attack. I, I've got a joke in my act that men don't die of heart attacks. They die of testosterone poisoning because <laughs> it can't be. It can't be a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, well, guess mm. what? It's a heart attack. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's that's the problem for men is they're very unlikely. Um, I will tell you this. There's, a, there's several movements. One is a barbershop. It's a barbershop mental health movement in that, and Kelvin, you can tell me if this is true, uh, barbershops have been kind of a safe place for African-Americans in this country for a long time. You know, they could go in and, and you know, and, and, and among guys and talk about things that mattered. Because mm -hmm. you know why? Because the barber's not looking in the eye. 
He's, he's, you know what I mean? Because you know, guys can't just sit at Starbucks, look at each other in the eye and talk about serious things, but they're doing something else. And the other, there's a movement that started in Australia. They found that if you had two guys under the hood of a car working and they're not looking at each other now, they'll talk about anything. It's called the garage movement or shed movement down there. Mm-hmm. And it's spread all over the world. It's now in Europe and the United States. Put two guys in a, in a, in a space like a garage doing woodwork or ironwork or working on a car, mm-hmm. you know, and not looking at each other, doing something. They'll, They'll talk about things, serious things mm-hmm. that matter. This is how guys are wired. I am non-typical in all of those regards. Well, I am no, African-American. African-American? American? Yeah, I got that one. Hey, I was a little Indian in there somewhere. I think Cherokee. Look um, at this video. I'm thinking that's an amazing impression. And you have hair, too. So. Oh, yeah, I do have yeah. hair. Yeah. And, uh, but I did spend 20 years in the military. Guys, my experience really has been that guys, I mean, it's rare when they actually discuss a problem. Yeah, but uh, I can see where that would that would make sense because really macho guys don't want to talk about things that aren't really really macho like well, eye to eye. So yeah, I and that leads me to my next point, which is people always ask, "What who has the highest rate of suicide? What occupation?" And it's construction. And they go, "Why construction?" Well, because the guys you get in construction are like you say, tough guys, mm-hmm. you know, hard as nails. Um, so. They're, and they're the kind of guys who don't talk about whatever problem it is, much less, you know, I'm depressed. John, I'm depressed. <laughs> Why are you, are you gay? Yeah, Why back, are you you know, back, back in the day, that would get you, uh, that would get you a lot of conversation that wasn't going to be, uh, make you feel good. Yeah, well, in the military, um, there's, it can be career limiting depending on where you are and who Absolutely. you're. Who you're. I, I went down to the Lackland Air Force Base mm-hmm. and spoke. Uh, because the general, Mary O'Brien, the first female general at the, that base, mm-hmm. uh, she had lost an airman. They were going to have a court-martial. The airman came to see her the night before, said, please drop the court-martial. She said, I can't. And they you know, they opened up the court-martial, and the, and the guy's not there. And they go to his room, and he's hanging. And so she's living with that. So she brought me in to, to, to start con- – basically, I get hired to start the conversation. Because if I stand up on stage mm-hmm. you know, and say, I'm crazy, and my entire family has more nuts in it than a 25-pound bag of squirrel food, then – it gives other people permission because if you see a guy being vulnerable on stage and bearing his soul, it tends to give other people permission to talk about their issues. Yeah. So. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting as we started off talking about, you know, what bullying online looks like, and I'm having exactly the opposite experience uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, I work from home at night. So, you know, a lot of guys have like at least their coworkers around. I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't have that. You know, I have, um, you know, the reason we got the puppy actually is you know, been about two years since we lost our last dog and I need someone to talk to at midnight <laughs> when I'm, <laughs> when I'm up and working. Yeah. They didn't um, charge four ninety nine a minute. Uh, right. Um, <laughs> but when, when my wife got pregnant, you know, this is our first child. I was going to be 41 years old when she was Whoa. born. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, outside of my parents, who do I have to, you know, who do I really have to turn to? You know, yeah. uh, outside of my dad and you know, my dad was never, he's never really a talker. Um, so I went searching online and I found that there are, there are some men's groups, um, you know, closed Facebook groups that you have to, they ask a couple of questions and you got to be serious about them. Yeah. Um, you know, they're not difficult to answer, but you know, you, 
you can't make a joke. Um, and then they let you in and people, you know, ask anything from, you know, they want advice on anything from starting a new job to getting out of the military to, um, you know, how are you dealing with, you know, how are you dealing with potty training to, um, and all this. And, you know, when it gets bad, people still get on there and they're serious and they're, you know, 95 comments every time somebody's having a bad day and half of them are phone numbers saying, Hey, give me a call. Yeah. And that's that, that, by the way, when I do my social media in my keynote, I talk about, um, uh, digital media addiction, social media, it, it's a tool. It can be used for good or bad. In this, in your case, in these, in this case, it's good. You, 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 you found your tribe, your community, you, you, and so you're not just posting how wonderful your life is. You're actually sharing your your issues. You know, I've never changed a diaper. I'm a first time dad. Somebody help me with this. So yeah, and I so, needed, yeah. and in your case, I needed to change the kid's diaper as well. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that happens. <laughs> how old is your wife, Cher? What's that? How old is your wife? Um, she is now 35. She's 34. Okay, so you're not that far apart in age. No, we're, we're eight years apart. Her parents were 24 years apart. Yeah, it amazes me when a she guy married. Her, she lost her dad to, to hanging at 10. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. Um, and uh, she wasn't the one who found him, but if she had gone to church, she would have been. Oh, boy. Oh, wow. Yeah. For whatever reason, her mom didn't send her to church with grandma that day. Uh, that's a good thing, because if you're close to a suicide like that, it ups the chance at some point you will consider attempting. Hey, youngin, you, I'm talking on a podcast where nobody can see what I'm talking about. There's a child. You have a child in your lap. But but our readers know she shows up, so you know we we talk to her all the time. She's yeah, but, I, but she's not screaming. And I don't recognize her. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I got to tell you, the kid's got lungs. Uh, Oh, you haven't even you haven't even begun to see that. Yet. And a goatee like yours, sure is especially <laughs> odd. Yeah. yeah, we're gonna. Yeah, she she's gonna get made made fun of for that in school. So we're, we're we'll take care of that before she gets yeah. there. <laughs> yes. So so. How long have you been doing this now? Uh, I've been doing comedy since. 85, end of 85. I've been doing speaking, like corporate comedy since 95. And I began speaking on suicide prevention um, with, my first, with my first TED Talk, which is uh, 2014. So five years in the suicide prevention market. Wow. Yeah, it's all I speak, it's all I speak on. People go, what else should you talk about? That's it. Pretty much it. <laughs> well, because in speaking, the riches are in the niches. Right. And so you pick a niche, you pick a lane, and then I pick several occupations that are at risk, you know, high at risk for suicide, dentists, doctors, mm -hmm. veterinarians, and construction. Uh, because A, they're high at risk, and B, they're all those industries are working hard to do something about it. Right. So. Get the military in there. They have a really, really ridiculously high suicide rate. Yeah, the Air Force, as a matter of fact, this year has a record. Last year, last year by July, they had a record number. And the problem with the military is people go, well, do you work for the military? I've done one. And I had to cut my price in half. You know, if I was selling cruise missiles, they'd be writing me checks all the time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, mental health, my fee is, you know, is 7500 to 15000 for a 45-minute keynote. And they're just like, what? Do you have any toilet seats we could buy for that? <laughs> 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 
Oh, good for you. Good for you guys getting the old old uh, Navy reference. <laughs> don't uh, don't uh, don't hurt me like that. Yeah. So the military has not only active well veterans, of course, twenty one or twenty two a day, mm-hmm. and then the active duties ha- is is it's an issue. It's um, like I said, the Air Force had a record number by July. Yeah. And they had a stand down, a twenty four hour stand down, and um, and one Air Force general at some base when they're doing the twenty four hour stand down said, you know, suicide. If you do that, you're chicken poop. But he didn't say poop. And that's not helpful. <laughs> they're they're smart people sometimes. Those guys with stars. So you go in for the for the 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 show. The well, it is a show, which which starts a conversation. But what what happens when you leave? Well, what I hope happens is that, um, like when I was at Lackland, mm-hmm. and I finished my show, and they all went to lunch. And I'm standing outside with the woman who booked me and there are people coming out after lunch. And they said, Frank, it was amazing. Every table in there, people were talking about what you talked about and telling their own personal stories. Things that nobody knew about anybody else before you walked in. Mm-hmm. That's my job is to give them permission to give voice to that, to, to say, you know, because people have kind of a concept what mental illness looks like and sounds like, and I'm high functioning. Um, which can be a problem because people go, you're not depressed. How do you know you're suicidal? Well, again, the aftertaste of gun oil was a big hint. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, but it, that, that's what I hope happens. Simply gives people permission to say to other people, you know, I, I have that issue. We know what Frank was talking about. That I've got that. Or my wife has that. Or, you know, a guy came up to me, um, I think at that event. And he said, look, um, my wife, um, I think she's, I believe she's been diagnosed bipolar. She's on her medication and then she's off, she's on, she's off. And I don't really, I mean, I can, I can deal with it. I'm a duck. We have two kids and you know, she's, she's, she's short with the kids, you know, and he goes, I, I'm at the point of having to tell her, look, you either need to get on medication and stay on medication or we're going to have to get divorced because I'm, I'm not going to put the kids through this. So, or, you know, the military base again. My dad is a thousand miles away and I, he's saying things that scare me. Is this, is this scary? Is this, should I be paying attention? I go, and oh yes. Oh yes. Problem is what do you do a thousand miles away? Yeah. I said, well, if you think he's suicidal, you call the police in his little town and you have them go by and do a um, safety check. And if they believe he's, you know, going to hurt himself, they'll take him to the mental health facility for three day, uh, all, all expenses pay vacation with no shoestrings or belt. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be pissed, but he's going to be alive. So, yeah. Um, so part of my question was, I mean, you could you you go in for that, but then the organizations who bring you in need to be prepared to handle what happens when you leave. So if all these people come up and they start, which is, I mean, that part's not your job, I understand. Uh, all these people start realizing what they've been thinking and doing, and, and they and they want help now. So. Oh, well, the, if it's a business, let's say, uh, they probably have an employee assistance plan, EAP, mm-hmm. so that the, the, they go to HR. Mm-hmm. And I tell them, look, go to HR. They've got an EAP. I'm sure they've got benefits, uh, mental health benefits, and just find out what your benefits are. Uh, you know, will they provide mental uh, health, uh, like therapy? Uh, I'm sure you've got health insurance, medication, peer counseling. Mm-hmm. I also recommend several local nonprofits, NAMI, National Alliance Mental Illness, N-A-M-I. They've got uh, peer counseling, family, family counseling classes, you know, classes. If your child is schizophrenic, how do you deal with that? 
And the nice thing about NAMI in AMI is everything they do is free. So, and it's a great resource if you have somebody in your family, loved one who has a mental illness, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll help you realize you're not alone. Lots of families out there like that. So that's, that's the, you know, and then I usually send them a list of mental health services providers in the area from I've got full insurance all the way down to a place that works on a sliding scale based on income. Mm-hmm. So that if they don't have any income, it's not going to cost them much to get the service. Okay. Uh, the problem is there's, there's a shortage of, of mental health clinicians in this country. So it's hard to get an appointment. You know, you know, if, you, if you're really in, in distress, I mean, in the military, it's, it's even worse. You know, as a, you hear stories about a guy who's gone off to war, come back, PTSD or whatever. And he, he, he said, you know, nothing's worked. Therapy, drugs. And he says, look, I need inpatient. I need a bed right now. Well, we got a 12-week wait on the beds. Mm-hmm. I think in the military, if you have an issue, medical, mental, or physical, you should be able to walk in and get it taken care of after your service. I mean, I think that should be the deal. We'll mm-hmm. take care of you after you serve. And, you know, the, oddly enough, it's not the guys who served overseas in Afghanistan or Iraq who have the majority of the problems. It's people, they may not have actually gone, been deployed, but they have left the military. Mm-hmm. Very structured environment. Um, you're in a community and a team that's got your back. Mm-hmm. And you're back in the civilian world. And, uh, you know, the, you're looking for a job. And you're, the employees, other employees at the job don't have your back necessarily like mm-hmm. they do in the military. So that can be very stressful. So, yeah. Now, have you done any military time? Uh, no. Um, I comedian in the military. Whew, bad combination. <laughs> oh, I've, I've had a, they didn't do it as a job, but it was you know they had fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's just you know um, comedians have no respect for authority, and that's just um, um, if you yeah, want to look. Yeah. If you want a great military comic, a guy named Blake Clark from Macon, Georgia. Blake Clark, make Blake Clark, Megan Georgia. I was in, uh, I was, he was in boot camp, and uh, the sergeant said, uh, "Clark, there are two kinds of men on the battlefield. What are they?" This is during the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. I said, "The poor and minorities, sir." Uh, <laughs> yeah, of course the answer is a quick and a dead. Um, I, I know, the, I know what day other answer was. Yeah, yeah, and so he said, "Next thing you know, I'm butt deep in a rice paddy in Vietnam with my M16 over my head." Uh, he goes, uh, the army is no place for a comedian. And, uh, yeah, he was a South Vietnamese invited us to a barbecue. And, uh, I said, what kind of barbecue is that? And they said, it's a goat. And I was first goat I ever saw with a Frisbee in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Blake Clark. I'll tell you, you know, yeah, you know how you know Blake Clark? Ever seen the movie 50 First Dates? I haven't seen the movie. It's 50 first dates with Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler. And she loses her memory every day. Every morning she wakes up, she can't remember anything from the day before. Oh, okay. Well, the guy who's her, the guy who plays her dad in the movie is Blake Clark. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's got had a lot of little, you know, character parts here and there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but, 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 the, and he, and it, I was talking to a woman yesterday who was Vietnamese. She said, you know, the odd thing about that period, Frank, the Vietnamese refugees came over after the war. Americans embraced the Vietnamese refugees but they spit on the soldiers that were Americans. She goes, it's just odd that that would, uh, and that's going to be part of her Ted talk. I think is that, Im- that immigrant experience. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. It's bizarre. Yeah. We, have, military- a, we have some strange, some strange, uh, I don't know what you want to call them. Ideas, priorities, uh, senses of loyalty, whatever that is. I don't, I don't what was your branch of the military? 
Come I was on. in the Air Force. Okay. What was your What was your AF, What was your AFSC? I was I was a communications. Well, initially I was a photographer, and then uh, but I finished up in communications. And people go, so, how do you know AFSC? Uh, well, you know, I played as a comic working the road. I played every you know officers club and uh, and and uh, whatever you know club in every base in the country. Yeah. So, you know, I was down in um, somewhere south where they have a Blackhawk base. I uh, can't remember exactly. Anyway, I talked to the audience and I said, what, what do you do? He goes, I'm a mechanic on a Blackhawk. I go, is that really useful? By the time the pilot says, we've got a problem and you say, where's that wrench? You're, you're a lawn dart. Why? I don't really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. And I cut my teeth in San Diego at the uh -huh. comedy clubs there, which of course is a naval base and a yes. sub base in MCRD where they, you know, they recruits go. And so, yeah, they, you know, they're in the back of the room with your, your tax dollars at work doing shots. Yeah. So. My son was in the Navy for a while. My, my, my youngest son was in, in, in San Diego. So I don't know. I don't know if you, uh, you got to see you when he was out there, but yeah, you never know. Cause they can't, uh, they came right regular. Uh, you know, in the, in the, uh, submariners, what do they call them? Um, uh, they have a sure. name for the, they, you know, like a nickname for the submariners. Anyway, um, you always knew when they were in town because at the beach, because you could hear it's like bacon frying on the beach because they've been underwater for six months. <laughs> you know, they're is that bacon frying? Oh no, that's right. Uh, the the subs in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're sick. I think I, I am. Yeah. Oh yeah. <clears throat> awesome. So, fellas. Well, you know, you know, it's, it's kind of weird that we can make light of such a serious subject but then that's that's kind of part of the the therapy yeah you, uh, i mean you kind of need to right that, you know, oh yeah that's how, how you take a, the weight off your shoulder and 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 it's um and you realize when i speak you realize that it's more prevalent than you think it is mm -hmm. and whatever you have a lot of other people have mm -hmm. and i make suggestions about you know medication um there's this dna cheek swap for um to test you for psychotropics, meaning they take your DNA and they, let's say you're depressed, and they take your DNA and they put it up against this list of antidepressants, and they find the two or three they believe, based on your DNA, that will work best with your metabolism. So there's not so much experimentation, go on, taper mm. off, go on, taper off. Yeah, a couple hundred bucks for the test. It's really simple, but it's a way of narrowing down the list. Making it much easier when you, especially when you first go on and doctors throwing meds at you, because that's what right. the drug rep told him worked really well. Right. I always tell people, look, ask your pharmacist because he knows medications. Your, your doctor knows the drug salesman. He's got the samples in his trunk. He's probably selling them at Walmart out of there. Um, <laughs> you're laughing. I had a doctor who was doing that. He was selling selling samples out of his trunk. Oh, is that right? Yeah, exactly. Crestor uh, got a deal for you. Oh uh, yeah. Wow. So, gentlemen, do we do we achieve yeah. our goals for the podcast? Didn't yeah. We? Um. Well, well, two two kind of uh, last question. Where do where do people start? Uh, yeah, I should say that. You know, the reason you know, I wanted to have you on about six years ago. I wrote this blog post titled uh, "You know, Six Tips for Getting On with Your Miserable F in Life," oh, okay. uh, and it was you know just meant for you know it was it was aimed at you know people who were complaining about being lazy and not getting off their couch and it was stuff like 
eat more foods with oxytocin and um, get a plant to take care of. <laughs> um, you just, just do something. You know, get your butt off the couch, take care of something, eat a banana instead of a pizza. Um, and for a long time, uh, most of this, it's, it's always been on top of my most read stuff, but a lot, a lot, a lot of time it was, you know, people coming in actually looking for lovemaking tips. Um, oh. Right. <laughs> because that's just how Google works. It sees oh, yeah. and tips and that's you know, what people are searching for. Um, but lately, um, you know, for the first time in six and a half years, it, you know, it started getting, I'm so, you know, it started getting searched. It's like, I'm so miserable and um, miserable life. And what do I do? And stuff like that. So, hmm. um, you know, where do people start since my, my blog post about, you know, go walk a dog and grow a plant is really not, it's well, really not what, you know, what was meant for, you know, that's not who it was meant for. Well, first thing I tell people is look, if you're miserable, let's find out if it's organic. Get, just get evaluated. Just go and see a mental health, mental health professional and say, look, I, I'm just miserable. I'm never, I'm never happy. I, I mean, am, I, am I depressed? Is it clinical or am I just, you know, miserable? So find out if it's something that is actually going on with your your wiring, not just your situation. And then if, if it's your wiring and it's, in fact, a mental illness, then that's when I suggest doing the cheek swab and finding out which mental, which psychotropic works best with whatever you have. And, um, yeah, miserable. I, yeah, I think that's probably where I, that's where I tell people to start. See if you can't get them evaluated. No, okay. you know, no obligation. You don't have to go into a mental health facility. Just go and see if it's, it's like a friend of mine has a sleep disorder. And she thought everybody took two naps a day until she went to see a sleep doctor and found out she had narcolepsy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she just thought that was the way everybody, was, and then she took a, she takes a drug for narcolepsy. And one day she goes, oh my God, is this what people, this is what awake <laughs> feels like? <laughs> yeah, because when I started taking the drugs at 60, three weeks in, I'm like, Oh my God, why did I wait so long? So yeah, I would be evaluated if medications indicated. And I believe in a holistic approach, like kind of like yours. Eat a banana, get up off the couch, get a dog. I believe in medication, meditation, um, uh, exercise, diet, good night's sleep. And I would tell you what the name of my latest podcast was. It's, it's, <laughs> it's another thing I recommend you do. It begins with an M, do it regularly. Okay. Um, but I'm okay. afraid I don't want to offend anybody on your podcast. <laughs> It's a TEDx talk, and it got me standing ovation. I think we have enough. Uh, I think we have enough adults who understand what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, yeah. So if you you look for my, my latest TEDx talk, talk post, if you go to TEDx, type in Frank King and um, you know mental health, it'll come up, and it's it's it, it was very funny. Uh, but it's on you know it's a it's an adult topic. Yeah. But I, but it's part of an, a holistic approach, not because some people are just strictly pharmacological. Just give me a pill. And then, like you said, they're still eating pizza. They're still don't have anything to care for a plant and a dog. Because the nice thing about a dog is it gives you a reason. You have to get off the couch because the dog has to go outside. Yeah, you're either gonna have to get off the couch. You're either gonna have to get out of the couch and clean the pee off the carpet, or you're gonna have to take them outside. So. Yeah, exactly. Which is a great. That's a great suggestion. And you're also responsible for it. Same with a yeah. plant. Uh, Seinfeld used to have this bit about um, you know kids. Um, why not start with a monkey? <laughs> you know, see how you do with a monkey before you go ahead and full blown get pregnant and get a kid. <laughs> and I've always thought 
that there should be places where you could timeshare children, like small, like babies. You know, you want to have a child, really? Okay. Well, we're going on vacation. You're going to be the nanny for this child for two weeks. It's a timeshare thing. See if you really want to have kids. <laughs> you know, and either either at the end of two weeks, the person is just like, I'll never reproduce, or oh man, this is so much fun. I can't wait to have one of my own. Because I would yeah, imagine every time I, every time but, my brother comes, he's like. Oh, okay. I good. Got my dose of birth control for the next uh, six months. Yeah. See you in a while. Exactly. Because yep. uh, you know, how do you know? Share until you have one, then it's too late. Yep. Yeah, a friend of mine, a comic, uh, Ralph um, Dirtbag Williams. Um, uh, was it real men don't use birth control? They just pay child support for eighteen years. <laughs> <laughs> well, fellas, I've got another podcast here at the top of the hour. All right. All right. Where can uh, where can people find you online? Well, maybe maybe now's well, not a good time to bring that up. So yeah, yeah pretty much um, today they can find me anywhere. I'm the the mentalhealthcomedian.com is my website. Okay, the and that'll that'll stay up throughout. Oh, yeah. And my phone number's there, by the way, guys. I put my I put my phone number up on the screen when I do when I keynote because I tell people this. Look, if you're suicidal, call the lifeline. If you're mentally ill, just having a bad day, call a crazy person because we get it. We're not going to judge. We're just going to listen. So, and my phone number's there and I make that offer to anybody. Anytime I do a podcast, I go, look, if you're, if you're listening to the podcast right now and you're having a really bad day and nobody who's neuronormal can understand, give me a call. Oh, and a guy gave me a call one time. He goes, man, this really is your cell phone number. I go, how cool would that be? <laughs> I go, and I said, I'll make it worse. Hold please. And then the whole, the whole music would be another one bites the dust. Then another one. <laughs> another one. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Crazy. All right. <laughs> Leave on a laugh, man. Leave on a laugh. All right. Thanks so much for being thanks. here, Frank. Yeah, and we, um, we will see you around. <laughs> and let me know when it posts because I'll post it on my social media. To do a press yeah, it'll release. come out in about a, well, 10 days. And because February only has 29 days this year, I, I can't do the math on that. But it'll be right around March okay. or whatever that Monday is. Sweet. Thanks, guys. Uh, thank, thank you. Thank you. Much. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. Show notes and more at jkwdpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends, and we will see you next week. Bye! A Better Humanhood Production.